Next week, we will be resuming in-person services. So uh, next Sunday evening, that's going to be June the 13th. Our evening worship will be at 6 p.m. on Sunday night. And then on Wednesday night, that's going to be June the 16th. Our evening service is going to be at 7 p.m. So 6 p.m. on Sunday, 7 p.m. on Wednesday. You're welcome to join us any of the times that you see on the screen for in-person worship. Psalm 138 of David. I will praise you, Lord, with all my heart. Before the gods, I will sing your praise. I will bow down toward your holy temple and will praise your name for your unfailing love and your faithfulness. For you have so exalted your solemn decree that it surpasses your fame. When I called, you answered me. You greatly emboldened me. May all the kings of the earth praise you, Lord, when they hear what you have decreed. May they sing of the ways of the Lord, for the glory of the Lord is great. Though the Lord is exalted, he looks kindly on the lowly. Though lofty, he sees them from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the anger of my foes. With your right hand, you save me. The Lord will vindicate me. Your love, Lord, endures forever. Do not abandon the works of your hands. God loves me as I am, and I love Him too. God is my loving Father, and I'm His precious child. He treats me like no God is like something. 
Okay, that's the way that Jesus actually started a lot of his parables. If you look through uh, Matthew, Mark, or Luke, you'll find out that in each one of those gospels, Jesus talks a lot about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, and he tells these parables. And as he tells those parables, he starts off so many of them is the kingdom of God is like something. And then he tells some story. Well, in this video, we're going to notice that the kingdom of God is like it was in the Old Testament. Now, obviously, it's different, okay? It is different because when Jesus came, he came and, and he brought a certain power to the kingdom of God like it had not seen before. And we see the kingdom of God and we interact with the kingdom of God unlike it was in the time of the Old Testament. I understand those things and I don't want to confuse you with that. But I do want you to realize that the way people were faithful or even unfaithful at times in the Old Testament is very similar to what we see in the New Testament. So the kingdom of God is like it was in the Old Testament. So this is how we're going to start it off. We're going to look at a passage in the Old Testament. Many times Jesus started off and he told a story. You know, he told like some type of parable, some type of made up story. Well, this story that we're going to look at comes from the Old Testament and it's a true story. When we turn to the book of 1 Samuel, in 1 Samuel chapter 8, we see that uh, this is the book that, that we start to see a kingdom being established. Now, God has always had a kingdom, okay, from the very beginning. And that's why sometimes people get a little confused with the phrase, well, what is Jesus talking about with the kingdom of God? Because the kingdom was there even at the very beginning. I mean, the, the very beginning of creation, God has set up his king. Well, yes, he was king there, but we also see that things went wrong because of sin. And God still has a plan and God still worked through that. God still set up the nation of Israel, and he was to be their king, and they were to be his people. Well, in 1 Samuel chapter 8, now we see they're wanting a different type of kingdom. They're wanting one that they can see, that they can touch. You know, a king who is right there before them that they can see. That's what they want. So in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 4 through 11, this is what we read, kind of jumping into this story uh, during the days of Samuel. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, you are old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord and the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods. So they are doing to you. Now, listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know that the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, this is what the king, what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses, and they will run in front of his chariots. And if you keep reading, you find out that it lists a bunch of things like he's going to take this and this and this and this. And I'm not including that whole list, but it's a lot of things that the king is going to take. That's the warning that Samuel is told to give to the people. These people, though, let's back up and let's see before we get to that warning. The elders come and they've got a request of Samuel. OK, Samuel, for the most part, he's a good guy. His sons, not so much. You might say that's an understatement, and perhaps that is understating the, the severity of it. But obviously, they realize Samuel, he's getting up in age, and his sons, they don't follow him. So then the elders come up with this plan. 
they say, why don't we like make ourselves just like all the other nations around us? Now, um, from an earthly perspective, uh, that does kind of make sense because if you look during this time, um, things were a little questionable uh, for Israel because they had a lot of other nations around them that were causing, uh, pushing a lot of pressure, I guess you would say, upon them. And these other nations seem to be thriving and everything's going great. And guess what? They all have these kings, so maybe we should have kings too. That's not the way God wanted his people to be set up. God didn't want to establish an earthly kingdom. He wanted to be their king and he wanted to be, uh, he wanted them to be uh, his people. That's the relationship that our God has wanted from the very beginning. Now, obviously, God knew that they were going to ask for a king. They knew, uh, he knew that they were going to reject him. And that's what he reminds Samuel. He says, listen to what they're saying. Verse 7, it's not you that they're rejecting. It's me. He's saying that they are rejecting God as king. God is the one that is really being rejected. Now, Samuel feels the hurt because he, I mean, he cares a great deal about these people and he cares about his God. And that's why he doesn't want to go through with this, but God tells him, give them what they want. I think there's something you can learn about God in all of that, isn't there? Because sometimes what we want might be what we get, but it's not always what's good for us. God sometimes allows that. He allows those things to come our way to teach us lessons. And here in this case, there is a lesson that God wants his people to learn. He wants his people to learn that you, there's supposed to be a holy nation. You can't just act like all the other nations and expect everything to go well. Whenever you act like the other nations, there's a payment. There's a price to be paid. And he says, this king is going to take this. This king is going to take that. Going to take all of these things. That's what he keeps saying. He will take, he will take, he will take. But they want to be like all the other nations. Perhaps there's a lesson in that too. How much do we want to be just like everybody else? You know, the, the way that the church is structured, the way that the people of God are, are structured is supposed to be a certain way, isn't it? I mean, it's the way that the Bible talks about. But you know, sometimes we can easily look at, you know, this, this type of organization over here, that type of organization. We can say, well, that works pretty good for them. Why can't it work for us? It might work. But it's still not what God desired. Just like this right here. Yeah, okay, it worked. They established a kingdom. God still blessed that kingdom, but it wasn't what he desired. And things would have went so much better had they simply followed God and done what he wanted and accepted him as their king. But that's not the route that they chose. That's why after you get through that list of he will take, he will take, he will take. Guess what? This is what we read picking back up now in verses 16 through 20. Um, he's still kind of listing some of those things that the king's going to take. Your male and your female servants and the best of the cattle and donkeys he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his slaves. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. That's what they wanted. That's not what God wanted, but that's what they wanted. And God told Samuel, go ahead and give them this that they want. And that's what they wanted. They wanted it so bad. They wanted to be just like everybody else. That's not what God hopes for them. That's not what God hopes for us. 
it's not just good enough to be like everybody else or to do the same things that everybody else does. We are called to be holy. That means we're set apart. That means we're going to look and act and be a little bit different. But oftentimes we fall into these traps and we want to be like these other nations. We want to be like these other people. And a few chapters later in 1 Samuel chapter 11, you read that they did establish a kingdom, a kingship. Then Samuel said to the people, come, let us go to Gilgal and there renew the kingship. So all the people went to Gilgal and made Saul king in the presence of the Lord. There they sacrificed fellowship offerings before the Lord and Saul and all the Israelites held a great celebration. Now that's in 1 Samuel 11, 14 and 15. And we see that, that uh, yes, it went okay and a kingship was established, but it didn't go all that well. There were still problems. There were problems because they were trying to, to do things a different way. Well, the kingdom of God is like it was in the Old Testament oftentimes. We can do the same types of things if we follow that same pathway. If we try to do things our own way, it's going to lead into the same types of things. And sometimes we've done that. You know, sometimes we have tried to, to figure things out and do things like this or maybe become like someone else. So much so that the, the, the church has, has kind of looked a lot like the surrounding organizations or groups around it. But church, we are called to something greater. We're called to be holy. Now let's turn to the page of the New Testament and let's see when Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, uh, what he says here in Mark's gospel. In Mark chapter 3, verses 20 through 35, I know it's kind of lengthy, but I really want us to, to get this whole story uh, all together. So Mark 3, 20 through 35. Then Jesus entered a house and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, He is out of his mind. And the teachers of the law, who came down from Jerusalem, said, He is possessed by Beelzebub, by the prince of demons. He is driving out demons. So Jesus called them over to him and began to speak to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. Truly, I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins and even slander and every slander they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. He said this. Because they were saying, he has an impure spirit. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, Your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers? he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. So here we see that the kingdom of God, obviously it came with great power in the time of Jesus. But, of course, their power, they, uh, these religious leaders, they were saying, well, it's, it's by the prince of demons that he's driving out these demons. They didn't deny his power. They just denied where it came from. They attributed the working of God 
to actually the working of Satan. I mean, talk about upside down and, and how everything is messed up right there. Well, Jesus simply tells them, look, if a kingdom is divided, it's not going to stand. And if Satan is going to be divided, he's not going to stand up. And then Jesus talks in this, this interesting language in verse 27 about plundering a strong man's house, talking about how Satan has some type of possession, if you will, over this this house, this this uh, earthly place of uh, that, that we live in right now. So he's got some type of control over that. But Jesus has bound him. He he has bound the strong man, and now he's going to come in and he's going to to plunder uh, to to plunder it. That's kind of the image that's used right here with Jesus, and what Jesus is doing is that he's conquered Satan. Satan's not conquering himself. It, you've got to understand that this is the power of God working in their midst, but they attributed it to Satan himself, not just an, an impure spirit, but to Satan himself. Now, they were saying about Jesus that he has an impure spirit. Well, what Jesus makes plain um, is that they were speaking against the Holy Spirit. They were blaspheming the Holy Spirit right here. And that is going to be a sin uh, that really there is not uh, going to be forgiveness of. Uh, and the reason why that is not going to be forgiven is because when you are so opposed to the very working of God, how are you ever going to be reconciled to God if you're always at odds with him? If you are literally part of a kingdom that's divided against itself, or if you are dividing against the kingdom of God, how are you ever going to be a part of that kingdom and work within that kingdom? Now, he said this, because they were claiming he has an impure spirit. They were attributing all of this to Satan. But all of this really came from the power and the working of God, of the Holy Spirit himself. Then another statement that's kind of a connected story, really, uh, but also perhaps a little bit different in verses 31 through 34. We see that Jesus' family comes there. And then he's told, okay, your family's around. And he just looks around at those people and he says, here are my mother and my brothers. And he makes this wonderful statement. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Do you see the connections between that passage in the Old Testament and how the kingdom of God, what it was supposed to be and what it could have looked like if they were following the will of God, but they chose to follow their own will and they chose to really reject what God was doing in their midst. Just as these people were rejecting what Jesus was doing in their midst. Let us be people who will not reject what God is doing among us, but that we will fully embrace it and that we will follow Jesus and that we can be on the side of Jesus and of his kingdom and be a part of his church. The kingdom of God oftentimes is like it was in the Old Testament. Sometimes there's opposition. Sometimes there's fighting within it. We need to be people who will stand up with God Whenever we do that, then we strengthen this kingdom. If we want to be a part of the family of God, verse 35, Jesus himself says, whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Does that describe you? Because if it doesn't up to this point in your life, it most certainly can from this day forward. If you choose to, choose to do God's will and you can be a part of the family of God. God the Father of all men, Ruler of all nations, Master of the universe, Lord of all creation, can it be that
Graciously forgiven, can it be that we are? 